The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Oh, Lloyd, we have a great show, and it's about being becoming a conflict-competent leader. In fact, I have two wonderful authors from beautiful St. Petersburg, Florida, which we love, as you remember. We have Craig Rundy and Tim Flanagan, who are the authors of Becoming a Conflict-Competent Leader, How You and Your Organization Can Manage Conflict Effectively. So I want to tell you about both of them. They're terrific. First, let me tell you about Craig. Craig Rundy is the director of the Center for Conflict Dynamics at Eckerd College, He oversees training and development on the Conflict Dynamics Profile Assessment Instrument, and there's other products and services at the center that he's in charge of. He's a frequent speaker and commentator on workplace conflict issues, and as I said, he's the co-author of Becoming a Conflict-Competent Leader, also Building Conflict-Competent Teams, and Developing Your Conflict Competence. Before joining Eckert, he was the director of the International Center for Computer Enhanced Learning at Wake Forest University. He's terrific, and we are so glad to have him. And now let me tell you about his partner in crime and great author, Tim Flanagan. Tim's experience includes leading the senior leadership development programs at Harris Corporation, managing consulting services for Development Dimensions International, and building the training program at AAA in Tampa, Florida, and guiding the custom development of discovery learning programs at Paradigm Learning. Tim's also a frequent presenter at professional conferences, and he's consulted with scores of leading national and international firms, and he's also the co-author of the same books, Becoming a Conflict-Competent Leader, Building Conflict-Competent Teams, and developing your conflict competence. So thank you so much. I sure appreciate you joining us. Great to be here. Well, you know, I, I kind of get a kick out of this. You have been a team now on three different books. So I'll ask you both, um, how do you handle the conflict between you guys, Craig? You know, it's interesting that um, I think that over time, and naturally conflicts happen, uh, even between people who uh, you know try to, provide expertise on it, uh, I think listening has been the real key. Uh, Tim and I find, I think, that we listen to each other well, and, and it really helps break through uh, 
uh, in conflict settings. Oh, absolutely. The power of effective listening. How about you, Tim? Do you think you have any words of wisdom on how the two of you have been able to do three books without killing each other? Well, you know, as long as Craig listens to me, we're in good shape. <laughs> and humor. Humor is another <laughs> thing, right? Absolutely. If, if we can laugh at ourselves, I think sometimes when I'm in mediation and things get really hot, I will try and do something, maybe self-deprecating, so not to, you know, make fun of anybody else, but of myself and just to get some humor going. So it kind of breaks that that intense feeling is to just do a little laugh together, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Whenever you can you can inject a little bit of uh, lightness into a tense situation, I think that helps everybody. Well, I, I really love this book and I found it to be really terrific and, and goes very much with what I do as a, a you know, a neutral conflict healer. So let's kind of get started. Um, Tim, why don't we start with you? In your experience, how do you see that most leaders respond to conflict? You know, I, I think most leaders are like just most people. Um, probably the, the most frequent response we see is people want to stay away from conflict. They tend to avoid it, uh, ignore it, and, and hope it goes away. And in most cases in organizations, that just doesn't work very effectively. Uh, you know, beyond that, there are you know, just a whole variety of, of leadership behaviors we've seen, some of which uh, we label, and we'll talk more about this later, destructive behaviors, others more constructive behaviors. Uh, but beyond avoiding, you know, sometimes people get angry and they'll want to fight, you know, the old fight and flight response, or they'll you know, give in, yield to others. Um, but I think the most frequent response that, that we see is people just tend to want it to go away on its own which is one of the most ineffective things that we can do with it. Right. So, you know, sometimes conflict is really not very comfortable, and I think people want to be comfortable, but I, I got a kick out of it because I'm, another friend of mine and I, who's a psychologist, and I are putting together this program called The Gift of Conflict, and that really goes very well with all the things that you talk about in your book about the advantages of conflict um, as well as the disadvantages of conflict, conflict itself is pretty neutral. I mean, it, it's, it lets us know that there is some kind of a need for some change from, from a, a, a growth opportunity. So, Craig, why do you think that, that most leaders really do want to just avoid and respond in that way? I, I think you were right on when you said um, it has to do with comfort levels. People are uncomfortable with conflict generally. When we ask them about that, usually what we find is that it's the emotional sides that uh, make it difficult for them. Uh, people feel either sometimes fearful or sometimes angry, and they're really not sure what's going to happen as a result of that. I think sometimes they're scared that they might hurt somebody or might be hurt. And people are, people are pretty smart. Things they don't like, they tend to stay away from, even when they realize that it doesn't get them what they want in the end. So I think that's really why people are uh, responding that way. Emotions and uh, inability to control them are real, really at the heart of uh, conflict issues. Yeah, and I, I really like what you said about the fact that they don't know exactly what's going to happen. They don't know if it's going to escalate and destroy a relationship, destroy a partnership, destroy a business. Uh, you know, get someone to want to leave your employee and then you really need that person. So I think that's the fear is the fear also of the unknown. If I deal with this conflict, where is it going to lead me? So I think uh, that was that was a, a really good point as well. 
Tim, in this wonderful book, Becoming a Conflict Competent Leader, you devote an entire chapter to destructive behaviors in your book. Why don't you share some of those? Because we're sitting here on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, but we also are airing in Newport Beach and Irvine, the whole like center of business in Orange County. So a lot of people listen into that that really have to hear this about what are some of the things that they're doing that's destructive. Yeah, I you know there are Craig and I uh, base a lot of our work on the conflict dynamics profile. It's a 360 assessment that is focused on the behaviors people use before, during, and after a conflict. And in that assessment, as well as in, in all of our work, we talk about destructive behaviors in two categories. Uh, the first category we call active destructive behaviors. Those are the kinds of things that you can see, hear, watch happen. And uh, there are four uh, dimensions or scales that we talk about. The first being winning at all costs. Uh, during conflict, some people just believe that the only thing that's important is for them to get their own way. Uh, there's one called displaying anger, and that is very much what it sounds like when people raise their voices, use harsh, angry, tough words, swearing. Uh, we, we categorize that as displaying anger. A third, and kind of my tongue-in-cheek favorite, is called demeaning others. And, and often that comes out uh, during a conflict. We talked earlier about trying to lighten the atmosphere. Sometimes people inject humor in, in tough, destructive, digging kinds of ways maybe through sarcasm, uh, or other people will do it in, in more passive ways, like uh, rolling your eyes at your conflict partner that uh, demeans what they're saying. And the final act of destructive scale is called retaliating. Again, very much what it sounds like. Uh, sometimes after a tough conflict, uh, a person will just sort of lie in wait and, and get back at some other time when their conflict partner least expects it. On the passive side, uh, we categorize things like avoiding staying away from conflict, yielding, simply giving in to your conflict partner because you don't want to have the robust, interesting, deep discussion about the conflict, hiding emotions. And Craig talked pretty eloquently about uh, how the emotional component can, can be what scares people. When you keep those, uh, those emotions hidden, you know, never let them see you sweat, that is almost can be interpreted as not... Uh, not disclosing, not being open, and maybe even tantamount to lying to your conflict partner. And finally, uh, a category called self-criticizing. Uh, after a conflict, uh, many of us go home at night and replay the conflict over and over in our heads, and we see that as a, uh, you know, it's good to be uh, self-critical in terms of figuring out what to do differently, but when you lose sleep over it and keep going over it and over it and beating yourself up, that's really a, a lack of productivity. So those are the eight destructive scales in a nutshell. And and we see that all the time. And sometimes, uh, you know, those of us who are re- really work on dealing with conflict, it even comes up in us as well, you know, especially when we're tired. I know my husband will say, and you call yourself a conflict healer, you know? So. Oh, I, I bet all three of us uh, have heard that story before. <laughs> I know, that that's our, our Achilles heel, I guess. So when we're talking, Craig, about these destructive behaviors, which at least, thank goodness, the three of us have it at a really conscious level. So as soon as we do it, we can recognize it. Um, But how about, you know, these ordinary managers who are doing the best that they can? What causes these people to use destructive behaviors? And then what results occur when they do? You know, it's really interesting. 
in one sense, you'd think that it's just because people don't know how to do better uh, behaviors. And in fact, when we ask people in programs, uh, in school, did you ever learn how to manage conflict? Almost nobody has done that. And even when we ask in, in the workplace, have you learned how to manage conflict effectively? Most people say no. So on the, on the, at the start, you might think it's just because people haven't learned how to do good behaviors. But even when they have learned, I think the key still comes back to emotions. When people are under stress, and like you said, when people are tired or they're emotionally distressed, even if they realize what good behaviors look like, Many times they're unable to access them because the emotions are getting the best of them. And, of course, when destructive behaviors are used, what happens is that the person who's the target of that destructive behavior oftentimes will get angry themselves and will become almost a spiral, an escalating spiral of one person triggering another who then comes back with something that re-triggers the first person. So... That's where conflict gets really bad when people get into cycles of using destructive behaviors against each other. Right. But, you know, it only takes one person to catch yourself and stop the, the escalation, you know? Just yeah. stop and, and just listen to the other person and get centered. And I think you're right. I think the emotions really can get the best of us. And so it's important for us to even not only get in touch with the skills that you guys teach, but also to stop and really kind of get in touch with our emotions. Why are we feeling a certain way that we are? Is there a better way to handle our anger than reacting rather than getting centered and then responding? Because people get scared even with their anger. I know people feel like, I, I don't want to get angry. You know, well, it's okay to be angry as long as the anger doesn't rule you. So I'm sure for, I could see that that's, you know, something that you teach in, in your programs and in your book as well. Let's talk a little bit, Tim, then about you, your full chapter that you have on constructive behaviors. Let's talk about those because I think people often can recognize in themselves the destructive behaviors, but they also don't know how to replace them with the constructive behavior. So let's talk about those, Tim. Yeah, let's, let's do that. And Craig and I are fond of saying uh, to folks that we want to help them get the good out of conflict. So you said earlier that uh, you know conflict is an opportunity, but people don't know how to how to take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, we've identified seven constructive behaviors, and I'll I'll quickly ramble through them. The, the most powerful of which is called perspective taking. Uh, when you're able to see the conflict and demonstrate that you see the conflict and understand the conflict from your conflict partner's point of view, we think that's probably the single most powerful behavior one can use when it comes to conflict. Uh, people like to be understood. They want to be understood. And when the, the stakes are high in conflict and you're able to do that with your conflict partner, that's where breakthroughs can really happen. And, and maybe we'll have a chance to talk a bit more about that later. Uh, the, uh, the next scale that we talk about are behaviors called creating solutions. I think that probably fits very nicely with, uh, I was reading some of your, your background, uh, solutioneering. Yes. How to, how to find solutions that are, uh, I hate to use the old phrase, the win-win, but it's really true. Yeah, it's a mutual gain. Yeah, yeah, yeah mutual gain, satisfying for both. Uh, and we, we talk a lot about a lot of techniques to use uh, in terms of creating solutions. 
Uh, another is called expressing emotions. And again, we've been talking a lot about it, emotions. Yep, emotions happen. Uh, you know, it's okay to be angry because we're human beings. Uh, we're emotional creatures. Uh, and being able to identify those behaviors, those emotions, and label them rather than behave them. So to be able to say I'm angry or I'm frustrated rather than behaving in frustrating ways is a real, true constructive behavior. And finally, one we call reaching out. You know, somebody, somebody's got to start the conversation up if, if both parties are avoiding. Uh, we're, uh, we have a saying that I wish I could say that one of the two of us is actually the author of this quote, and if we keep saying it long enough, maybe it will be. <laughs> but, right. but the quote is, it, it takes two to tango, but it just takes one to change the dance. Right. And right. So, so somebody's got to take the high road and begin behaving in constructive ways. We call that reaching out. On the passive side, uh, there are three, three scales. Delay responding and reflective thinking are very closely associated. Delay responding is simply taking a time out when the conflict gets too hot and let you know, Mother Nature you know, give us those 10 seconds to cool down. Reflective thinking is taking a time out and both parties going away and thinking through how we could behave and interact better. And the third one is called adapting. It's bringing an attitude to conflict that says, you know what, there's some good to get out of this, and, and how can we maximize that? Uh, but just to come full cycle back around, perspective taking, in my mind, is, is probably the key to resolving many, many conflicts that sometimes seem insurmountable. Yes, and, and I loved it when you started out with the first one, is recognizing the other person's perspective. And that's exactly what Craig said right from the beginning when I asked him, well, how is it that you've been able to do three books without really destroying your relationship? And he said, because listening, you both listen to each other. So I think that goes back to it. If you listen, listen leads to understanding and understanding re- leads to, you know, a better relationship. So you're practicing what you preach. We try. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's that's the most important thing is that, you know, none of us are perfect. But as long as we are on the path of trying then we're growing. So that's that's the most important thing. Craig, so when we talk about these constructive behaviors, what are some of the biggest challenges that we have to overcome? You know, what's interesting is people uh, in programs that uh, we do, I think, are able to understand these behaviors very quickly. So it's not a cognitive problem. What gets in the way, usually, uh, once again, are the emotions. And what happens, I think, when people find themselves in a conflict, their emotions begin to kick in, and usually that's when they begin to become aware of the conflict. And things begin to go fast. Their thoughts begin to go fast, things get chaotic, their emotions get jumbled, and even though they may, you know, understand the cognitive or the constructive behaviors, all of a sudden it's really hard to do them because they're under the grip of the emotions. You know, one of the reasons perspective-taking is so good is because it involves being open and curious about what's going on. Why is this other person seeing this so differently than me? When you can get there, it really opens up and, and it almost defuses the, uh, the conflict. But the problem is that people start going very quickly. Uh, one comment leads to another, and so... A lot of what we teach is helping people to be able to cool things down and slow them down so they can reflect on what's going on here, which then enables them to 
explore ways of working out their differences more effectively. That's so important. And, and to tell people not to take personally when somebody does attack. I do this thing. I teach negotiations and conflict management here at UCI. And one of the things I do almost in the beginning of my negotiations class is I do some practice role play where I'll have them say to me something that's really offensive. Like I'll say, tell me I'm the worst teacher you've ever had. And, and they look at me like, what do you mean? I said, say it like you mean it, you know? <laughs> and then I'll, I'll stand there while they say it. And I'll, and I'll say, I understand what you're saying to me is that from your perspective, I'm the worst teacher you've ever had. Do I have that right? And they'll say yes. And I'll say, okay, that's helpful feedback. Tell me more. And it just totally, def- you know, diffuses anything. And and they're kind of in shock that, that I do it, but I show them how you don't have to take personally what someone says to you. And that, that, that is uh, right up our alley with, you know, people really, truly want to be understood. And so rather than inflame the situation by responding in kind, you're demonstrating understanding to the speaker, which, as Craig pointed out, begins to diffuse the situation almost immediately. Right. And then it gives them a chance to tell what they're really feeling. There you go. Yeah. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that leaders make? I know I'm in several organizations, and it's amazing to me one year we'll have this wonderful leader, everything is going great, you know, state bar committees that I'm on, everybody's really working hard, really happy, everything is great. And then you'll get another leader that there's the morale is horrible, no one feels like doing anything. (laughs) There's a lot of conflict going on. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that that leaders do make when when they see conflict? Here are several that that, uh, sort of off the top of my head. I think probably the first one is they ignore it. Uh, when conflict exists in the organization or in the environment, uh, just so many of us have a natural tendency to, to wish it away. And if you ignore it, not only do you allow it to simmer, you may be missing some opportunities that you can take advantage of. Uh, another favorite sort of response is when I see people in conflict and they're, you know, we've learned these great listening skills, make eye contact, nod your head, smile. But unless you're really demonstrating that you're listening, most of us can fake it pretty well. So you'll hear people say this phrase to begin a sentence, yeah, but. Right. And then it's, you know, let me tell you how it really is from my my point of view. So nobody's really (laughs) listening. So the the yeah, buts, I I think, are one of the big mistakes. And then the other one, I think we've kind of touched on this, is so many of us see conflict as a bad or a negative thing. And if, if I could wish a wish for all of us, it would be, to not necessarily view conflict as bad. I think you said earlier, it, it's a neutral, and it's what we do with it that, that really uh, is the opportunity. And that's, that's probably the final thing I would say. Uh, so many of us fail to take advantage of conflict. You know, the diversity of thought, the differences that occur naturally are pretty exciting and intriguing. And where would we be if we all thought and saw things the same way? I mean, it's really the key to innovation and creativity and new ideas and Thing on the cutting edge. So. Right, right. It's a problem-solving approach. It really gives us that opportunity, that gift. So, Tim, if, if you could uh, give leaders one piece of advice when it comes to conflict, what would be that one best piece of advice? What I would say to folks, and I say this whenever I'm running a seminar or a program, is to approach conflict with a sense of wonder and curiosity. It, it's kind of that little 
kid, the, the example I often use is to ask people to remember, you know, when they were a child laying in the backyard with a friend and looking up at the big puffy white clouds floating by and looking for animal shapes. And somebody says, look, there's a pig rolling in mud. And your buddy says, where? I don't see that. I see a fire-breathing dragon. Oh, let me see that. And you point it out to each other, and it's wondrous and curious. And if you can bring that spirit to conflict, it's really pretty cool. Yes. So, Craig, we don't have a lot of time, but I'd like you to just give us your view on on how leaders can really develop their skills then to improve their conflict competence. Yeah, it's. I would say that the very first thing that they need to do is to reflect on the value of it for them because leaders are very busy people. They have lots of things going on and lots of things pulling at their attention. And unless they believe that managing conflict more effectively will be important for them and their organization, they're not likely to do anything meaningful about it. Once they have determined, though, that there is merit for them and their organization in dealing with conflict more effectively, then I think, yes, reading can help, but it needs more than that. This is a conflict is a contact sport. You need to practice this type of work. You can get training in terms of how to behave more effectively, how to manage your emotions, getting coaching, uh, one-on-one coaching to help people develop their particular skills can be valuable. But most of all, people have to practice it. But the nice thing about it is they'll have no dearth of opportunities to practice it. Right. And being a leader gives you every opportunity a leader who understands his own conflict and can help serve somewhat like a mediator, right? I mean, leaders have to be mediators, don't they? They have to be mediators, facilitators, mentors. And frankly, for an organization to do well, leaders need to be champions of developing conflict competence for not only themselves, but all the people in the organization. Well, I think this book is wonderful, Becoming a Conflict-Competent Leader, by Craig Rundy and Tim Flanagan, and you both are just wonderful. Why don't you give your website, and then we'll have to end. Oh, good. Our, our website is www.conflictcompetence.com, and, and if I might also add, we are really excited. We've just been asked by our publisher to do a second edition of Becoming a Conflict Competent Leader, and with our fingers crossed, we think that may be available by late this year, just in time for Christmas present giving. Oh, well, what that is so wonderful. Congratulations. We'll have you back again. You'll give me a call, and we'll do this again on your newest book, too. So thank you both for joining us, and you enjoy that beautiful St. Petersburg that I love. Thanks so much. Thank okay, you Okay, so bye-bye. You've been Bye. listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Please join us every Monday morning at 8.30 and also visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can see our upcoming guests. You can listen to archived interviews. You can find out more about conflict and how you can do things in your life to make conflict a gift for you. And write us emails about what's important to you and what concerns you have about conflict in your own life. Thank you for joining us. Bye. in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.